Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, our brother, and I'm not going to mention his name because this is on the internet, that was going to preach. You know, my good friend was going to do man camp for us, and he will do it in the future. Um, the time for Christian men to stand up and to be Christian men is not past. It's, it's time now. And uh, our friend, he had an assistant pastor who was inappropriate with a 15-year-old girl. And uh, th- this, this man was arrested last Tuesday, and it hit the media. So obviously my friend needed to be in his church this weekend. Man, I just hate sin. Uh, uh, Matt and some of us were talking this week about even in prison, where you have the worst people in the world, abusing children is not tolerated. That's how bad that is. And so for a man that calls himself a Christian and a man who calls himself a man of God to behave that way, that th- there's nothing worse, there's nothing lower. So some of you know who we're talking about. So please pray for my friend as he tries to lead this church because what does it harm? It harms the church. It harms the name of Christ. It harms the, the, the people in the church, the leaders of the church, the name of the church. And that all pales to the harm it does to the child. And let's just be godly. Amen? And so we as a church, it's always a good reminder for us. Keep your eyes open. There are predators that make their way into churches like ours. Watch out for them. Don't ever let anybody be with a child alone. If you ever see that happen, that is not allowed at Grace Baptist Church. We do not do that here. And so... I just want you all to know, so Justin just announced, you know, two or three weeks ago that we're redoing our background checks. Everyone who works with your child has a background check. We will not allow anyone who has any kind of uh, inappropriate behavior in their past to be anywhere near our kids. Don't you believe in forgiveness? Of course I believe in forgiveness, but you're not getting near our kids. It doesn't have anything to do with forgiveness. It has to do with our stewardship and our responsibility to protect our children. Also, every area where children are, there are security cameras. Everywhere. And we keep those on file. So we're doing everything we can. We lock the doors during our children's services from the outside so people can't get in. We have security that roams the hallways to make sure that we're safe. But we can put all of those things in place and someone can do something inappropriate with a teenager. And we just need to make sure that we have everything in place to keep that from happening. Amen? And now, aren't we thankful that hasn't happened here I'm so thankful. And yet, when these things happen, it's a good reminder for us as church leadership to be vigilant. And I've got to tell you, the thing we value the most here is the glory of God and his word. And right after that is your children. We're gonna, we are going to take care of your kids. And it's just, it's just vital. Um, I had a situation where I was dealing with a situation like this that happened outside of our church. And all these other people kept talking about reconciliation. I'm talking about murder. I don't want those people to ever have any access to children again. Amen? And if you don't like that, I I can't help you. I I just read what the Bible says is supposed to happen to those people. And so there we go. All right. Look at, uh, why don't we pray right now? Lord, help us as we dive into your word. Please be with our friend, this church, all that's going on there. We know that your glory is not hindered. Your glory is not hidden. And Father, thank you that this church has done everything right. They've taken steps to... They had the man arrested, but still, the harm it does to your name, to that church, to the, to the pastor, to the, to, the, to the precious child, Father, I pray that you'll, um, that you'll just help. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 20, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man, and that's the title of my sermon, if a man, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Notice those three words, if. If. One of my favorite poems was written by Rudyard Kipling, and it's if. Let me read it to you. He said, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. 
If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give away to hating. And yet, don't look too good or talk too wise. If you can dream and not not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make traps for fools. Or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings and not lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Isn't that good? That was Rudyard Kipling's advice to his son. The Apostle Paul has some advice to his son in the faith, Timothy. And all of us have times in our life, if I had only done this, if, if, isn't that a horrible word? If David, after his son had been killed, he said, oh, Absalom, 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 my son, Absalom, would God I had died for thee? Would God I had died for thee? Regret the missed opportunity, it's one of the saddest things in the world. That word if, just two little letters, that word if, it is so powerful. If only I hadn't said that. If only I had said something. If only I had stood. If only I had yielded. And what is it that determines, what is it that determines the evaluation of the if. It's got to be the Word of God. It has to be the Word of God. So the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and he says in verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself. If a man purge himself. I want to give you an example. When, when, I, when I talk about other Bible translations and Bible teachers and the way they use Greek. So how many of you know that I enjoy John MacArthur and he's been a, a big help? So I was reading his commentary on this passage, and I'm going to read to you the way. So he reads the verse, he prints the verse, and then gives the commentary. So look at your Bible at verse um, 21, and I'm going to read what he wrote in his Bible. Okay, so look at your Bible. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. Okay, so now I'll read what he wrote. Cleanses is from ekathyro, an intensified form of kathyro, from which we get catharsis, which means to clean out thoroughly, to completely purge. Maybe his Bible just should have said purge. Now, do we ever do we have any any people that ever clean? Would you raise your hands? How many of you know there's a difference between cleansing and purging? Right? The cleansing is when these guys do the cleaning for you. The purging is when mom comes after and bleaches it all and gets it all done. Right? Y'all know the difference? And so when we talk about the, the care that our translators used in translating the Bible, and then when people try and change the Bible and make it more understandable, what they have to do is use our Bible to explain theirs because our Bible is actually the meaning of the text. Okay, that's not my sermon. I just had to tell you. Come on, John. All right. So, he went on. He had some great comments on the text, but he had to waste some time because his Bible changed what the Bible says. 
So let's look at what he's talking about. So let's go back in verse 20 again. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. So the idea of a large house, we're thinking of a rich person's house. Lots of rooms, lots lots of uh, vessels and implements. And so they have gold and silver. I don't think we have any. I think we have some silver vessels that were my mom's that she got from her aunt. I don't go out and buy silver and gold vessels. Maybe some of you do. If you do, I'm going to look at your giving record, okay? So what we're doing, when we look at this, in a large house, there's this picture. He's painting a picture that you have something that's very valuable and then something that it's okay to throw away, right? That's what we have, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Now, in other places in the Bible, God uses this illustration to talk about, like in a church, we, last week we talked about that, that you have the more comely parts and the more un, uncomely parts, and they're all necessary. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about something that is valuable and something that is not valuable. And in the church, Paul is saying that in a church, you have saved people, some of whom are valuable, and some of whom are worthless in the work of God. Now, I know we live in a multicultural time. We live in a soft time. And when I say some church members are worthless, I know there's some mercy person out there that's going, oh, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Okay, so look at God and go, oh. The old preacher said it this way. There's two kinds of people in the church. There's the pillars that uphold the church. And then there's the caterpillars that crawl in and out every Sunday. And listen, if you've just started attending Grace Baptist Church and you don't have a position of responsibility, you are right where you're supposed to be. I am so glad you're here. If you've been at Grace Baptist Church for 20 years and all you do is crawl out and out and you don't serve and you don't do anything, I hope that this bothers you. Right? Sam Jones, the old Methodist evangelist, ladies came to him and said, said, Mr. Jones, you rubbed the fur the wrong way. And Jones looked at her and said, ma'am, turn the cat around. I think in another place, it was the same guy, Sam Jones. Somebody said uh, something about one of his sermons caused him to feel bad. And he said, well, if your phone's ringing, pick it up. Now, I love encouraging sermons, but this right here, there's not a whole lot of encouraging if you're not a vessel of honor. If you're a vessel of dishonor, do you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to become a vessel of, dis- of honor. And how do you do that? By purging yourself. That's the point of this text. And so here, here, look at the people that Paul is talking to. So go to verse 1 of chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. Be strong. So I noticed that when I shake hands, my 60-year-old grip isn't what it used to be. So yesterday in the mail, I got a gripper. So one of these days, John Leesner, I'm going to hurt you. (laughs) That guy's got the strongest grip in the world. Be strong. If you're not strong, what are you supposed to do? Get strong. Be strong. And so Paul is saying this to his son, the faith, Timothy, to teach him how to pastor a church, how to lead people. And then he's going to instruct Timothy about the people that are in the church. So what am I talking about here? Okay, so now you all know, every one of you who are, you're, you're, you're grounded at Grace Baptist, you know what you're supposed to do right now. There are two kinds of people that come into a church, saved people and lost people who are saved people. People that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. People who know for sure that if they died today, that heaven is their home. And we we don't have that because we're good people. We have it because Jesus Christ has given us the gift of eternal life. It's a gift. Cohen, come on up here. All right. Look at that one. Is that cool? Matches the suit, you see that? Okay. So I've got this pen. I collect fountain pens. I know, Andy, completely frivolous, right? I want to make this pen a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. Now, you got to wash my car every week for the next 20 years. You give it back. Why'd you give it back? It's not a gift. Because it's not a gift, right? Isn't he smarter than he looks? Let's go ahead. You can, so. it, 
Did dad say no? Oh, he said amen. Okay. (laughs) That's the father of a teenager. It's so important that we get this. We all know instinctively that you can't work for a gift. You can't earn a gift. You have to receive it as a gift. There are religious people all over our community that believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. At Christmas, they celebrate the virgin birth, and they really believe Jesus was born of a virgin. At Easter, they celebrate the resurrection, and they really believe that a dead man got up and walked. They really believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But they also believe that they have to go to confession. They believe that they have to do good works. They believe that they have to continue these things in order to be able to maybe go to purgatory, spend some time in purgatory, and after some time in purgatory, then they get to go to heaven. How many of you know that that's what people have been taught and that's what people believe? How many of you used to believe that? Would you raise your hands and hold them up for a second so that people can see? This is what you were taught. This is what you believed. All right? So when we see the the clear teaching of Scripture, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible in 1 John says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. But these are written to you that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can know, and it is received as a gift. That's one kind of person that comes into the church, a person who has received that. There are other people who come into church, and they want to be here. They want to be with God's people. They want to know about God, but they've never made that exchange. They've never received that free gift of eternal life. If that's you today, I'm so glad you're here. If that's you, we want you to receive that free gift. That's what we want. This passage in 2 Timothy is not written to the people who have not yet received Christ. This is written to the born-again people, the people who have eternal life. And what it's talking about is some some of you are some of us, Paul keeps using the term we, we're going to see it in the text, some of us are vessels of honor, and some of us are vessels of dishonor, and that's all based on your service and your cleanliness, your righteousness. That determines whether you're a holy vessel or an unholy vessel, even if you're born again. All right, so let's look at our text. What do we have here? It says, therefore, if we're in verse 21, if a man therefore, so based on the fact that there are different vessels, if a man therefore purge himself. Oh, I started to tell you who this is written to. Look at verse 2. So in verse 1, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And then he goes on and gives some instructions. There's a a good soldier, and he talks about those things. All right, so if a man will purge himself of these, then then something happens. The, The honorable vessels represent believers who are faithful and useful to the Lord. They are good soldiers. They're competitive athletes. They're they're honest, rule-keeping athletes. They're diligent farmers, and we're going to see that here. By contrast, the dishonorable vessels, the, 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 the vessels to dishonor, what are they? They're cowardly soldiers, lazy or, or, or cheating athletes, and terrible farmers. How many of you know it's hard to be a lazy farmer? Right? So let's look at the honorable vessels and we'll look at the dishonorable vessels. So look, look at verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now how many soldiers do we have here? Guys that either are in the military or were in the military. Hold your hands up. Okay. D- did y'all know any bad soldiers? If you, knew, if you were in the military and you knew a bad soldier, raise your hand. I think it's everybody that was in the military. How many how many Christians do we have here? 
How many of you know some bad Christians? Yeah. Okay, short message. Okay, since you guys are going to go to sleep anyway, here's the message. Don't be one of those. Okay, all right, so go to sleep now. But this, so notice how it says it, though. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, so this first example is the soldier. They're good soldiers and they're bad soldiers. And the way that he defines a bad soldier is the bad soldier is distracted. That you've got you've got a you've got a job that you are supposed to do, and and I guess so. I'm not a soldier. I, I was not in the military, but I would imagine that downtime is a different kind of stress than wartime, battle time. Is that right, guys? When 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 you're in a situation where the bullets are flying or there's a potential for the bullets to fly you're probably a little bit more focused in that moment than you are when you're preparing your equipment or your training or whatever. Um, What this is talking about is the soldier that when he's supposed to have his stuff ready, so say that you're getting ready to jump out of an airplane, and your job is to check your jump buddy's equipment. So my understanding is that before you jump, you check the other person's parachute and those other things to make sure that that's done, even though that person has checked it, that you check it to make sure that's right. A a good soldier will check your chute properly. A bad soldier will be thinking about something else while he's checking your chute. That's not the guy that you want with you. Does that make sense? Are y'all following me? This is the example that he's, that he's using. So now you're in battle, and what, what they say is that you're not fighting against the people in front of you. You're fighting for the people that are behind, that are behind you. I, I've heard that said. Again, I make no claim to being a soldier. I've never been in a situation like that. But it, it, that, I, I think that that's, that's the mentality. But if you have a guy that's supposed to be watching your back, and in the lingo, you're six because I'm cool. But if you have a guy that's supposed to be watching your back, you don't want him wondering what's happening on the ball game at home. Right? Or, you know, from what I understand, when someone's going into combat, they try and instruct the family not to tell them about, you know, bills at home or trouble that's at home because a a distracted soldier can be a dead soldier. A good soldier is not entangling himself with the affairs of this life. So now, how many of you know this verse? You've heard this, you've heard this verse before. I want you to think about it, though, in our context. The good vessel is the vessel that's focused on what they're supposed to do. The bad vessel is the one saying, I don't have time to fight. I have other things going on. I don't have time to serve the Lord in the local church. I got other stuff that I'm doing. Well, then, if I may, you're too busy. Why? Because it is God's plan for every saved person to be active in the life and ministry of the local church. If a man. If a man. That first example is the soldier. The second example is, look at what it says in verse uh, 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Man, in sports... You know, the joke is, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. But honestly, we don't like cheaters. We, we don't like cheaters. That's what this is talking about. Don't be a cheater. Next uh, week, at, week from Sunday, we're going to be looking at some cheaters, Ananias and Sapphira. We're going to see what God thinks about cheaters. Wow. So, how many of you... You have competed in some kind of sport. Would you raise your hand? You have competed in some kind of sport. And so every sport has rules. All right? If you play basketball, you can only dribble with one hand at a time. Dribble with two hands, you can't do that. Uh, when you dribble, you dribble. And then if you stop dribbling, you can't start dribbling again. you got to pass the ball. These are just rules. If you're playing football and you're an offensive lineman, once you get set, you can't move. You can't move until the ball snapped. If you move before the ball snapped, it's a false start, and your team gets penalized five points. Every sport has rules. 
in Andy's game, if you mess with an ogre and you're a dwarf, then the dwarf is allowed to cut off your toes. And so every game has rules. <laughs> Was I close? Okay. <laughs> and we understand why those rules are there. Right? I've got to do this. I have to do this. If you're a man, you can't play against the girls. There's rules unless you're a liberal idiot. And so, so what are our examples? A good soldier, a bad soldier. A good athlete, a cheating athlete. Look at the next one. Remember, these are vessels. This is, he's describing church members that Timothy is going to be dealing with. Verse 2 again, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. So commit it to a good soldier. Commit it to a, a, a competitor that plays by the rules. And then, look at what it says in verse 6, The husbandman, that's a farmer, that laboreth must first be a partaker of the fruits. So the, this, this husbandman, this, this farmer, imagine a farmer raising something. And says, I'm not eating that. Have you ever been to a restaurant? And you say, is this good? And the waitress goes. (laughs) How many of you have experienced that? Yeah. And so the idea is the farmer's got to eat his food that he raises first. So you're going to raise good fruit. There are churches that they want to bring in people from other churches because they can't reproduce stuff that they want. There are church members that they can't raise their own kids, but they want to tell you how to raise yours. Right? And so this idea is we don't want hypocrites. We want trustworthy people. We want a farmer that cares what's in that dirt. So Josh Spicer, when he was um, in, was it in Syria where they were given in the bad food? The food was raised and they fertilize with human waste. And it's causing the soldiers to get sick. Shame on any of the leaders that did that. I say we go fight against them. It's horrible to treat our men that way. I can't take it. And yet, and yet, that's Christians. What kind of Christianity are you serving up to the world? Is it the same Christianity that would lead you to Christ? Is it the same kind of Christianity that you would want to eat? Is that, is that what you're living? So the examples of, a, of, a, of, a, of an honorable vessel or a dishonorable vessel is a, a good soldier, a, 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 an athlete that plays by the rules and a farmer that raises food that he would want to eat. That's, that's, those are the examples. So there are, in the way, so let, let's go to, we're still in chapter 2 and verse 20 again. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth and some to honor and some to dishonor. But I want you to see how specific an honorable vessel and dishonorable vessel Paul gets. So verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Have any of y'all heard that verse before? Okay, all of our wanna kids. Look at what it says in verse 16, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Man, you know that there are Christians that don't want you to name names. So what does that mean? They don't want you to be a biblical Christian. They don't want pastors to name names. In other words, they don't want us to be a pastor like the Apostle Paul was teaching Timothy to be. Right? So he's not saying these guys are lost. These are Christians whose words were eating like a canker, which being interpreted. Well, I don't know why Pastor Jim's doing that. I don't know. And then the defenders, the, the, the good soldiers, 
Well, you know Pastor Jim. What's a good soldier supposed to do? Well, let me tell you why we're doing that. Not why he's doing that. Why we're doing that. Why? Because we're soldiers. We're in this together. I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, that song, uh, The Boys of Fall. And there's a line in, you want one of us, you've got us all. Isn't that the way we're supposed to be as a church? That we are in this together, and in this context, a good soldier has the soldiers next to him. He has his back. That's, and then Paul names some guys whose mouths were eating like a canker, undermining the work. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I know what some of you are thinking. He knows I was just complaining. Well, some of you, I do know that you were complaining. That's not why I'm preaching it, though. Somebody tell me why I'm preaching this right now. It's in the text. I'm preaching about how to be a man. I'm just lucky, and it's in the text. I get to say it. Folks, we are in this together. If you don't like the way your Sunday school teacher is teaching, go and talk to that Sunday school teacher, but don't use corrupt communication. The Bible makes it very clear what corrupt communication is. Corrupt communication is communication that does not edify, that does not build up and minister grace to the hearer. Amen? And listen, it's a whole lot different when you're in front than when you're in the seat. It is a whole lot different. And so what Paul is telling Timothy is these are the men. He's describing the faithful men that you're supposed to give the word to. Verse 2 again. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You don't want to give it to a soldier that's entangled. You don't want to give it to an athlete that cheats. You don't want to give it to a farmer that does not eat his own food. You you get that? An example of that is, two examples are Hymenaeus and Philetus. And how about it that the Holy Spirit had him write that down and people have known their names for 2,000 years of guys that couldn't control their mouths. Look at what it says. Verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So this specific iniquity is they're saying that the resurrection had already passed and we had missed it. They were not rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you see how that's in the same context of rightly dividing the word of truth? They'd wrongly divided the word of truth. So let's look at, he goes on and he says that there are, verse 20 again, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And now he's going to say, if a man, therefore. So based on we need men that we can put the word in. And we, we want good soldiers and we want non-cheating athletes, and we want honest farmers, and we want guys who can rightly divide the word of truth, that these are the good guys. Now, you ready for this? How do you become one of them? If a man. How many of you want to be that kind of man? That, that's who we're to be. How do we get there? There are four characteristics of a purged life. Look at verse 21. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these. So now I want you to think about purging. Purging is not rearranging the sins. Purging is getting rid of it. Right? So, if a man, therefore, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. So what does that look like? Four characteristics of a purged life. Look at what it says in verse 21 again. A purged life is a sanctified life. If therefore, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified. What is sanctified? It's special. 
It's special. Now, I, I don't know that this is something that we do a lot anymore, but how many of you, your mother or grandmother, had some china that was only used for special occasions? Right? How many of you, that's kind of not your house, that you don't have that? Would you raise your hand? That's not the way that we do, we do things anymore. And that's okay. It doesn't matter to me. But that, that idea of that is only used for a special time. I, I, only, I only wear that on a special occasion. I only use that for a special occasion. That's sanctified. That one is set apart. Um, do we have any people here that raise dogs? You raise puppies and that kind of thing? Well, well what happens is when you look at that litter, there might be one or two that are really special. And you set those aside, right? That one's going to grandma. Or that one we're going to charge more for. That one, <laughs> this one, is this is the one that we're going to use to produce more puppies because this one is the right. This one is set apart. This one is special. Listen, that's who you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be the church member that God can say, hey, hey, that one is special to me. That one's special to me. So I just told, I introduced Steve Clayton to one of our guys, and I said, his wife is special to my wife. And now I know that we're not supposed to have favorites, right? But sometimes you just like people more than other people. Is that fair? How many of you, be honest, how many of you, Maureen's your favorite church member? Raise your hand. Be honest. Come on. Lots of people. And he said, yes, lots of people. And you all know what I'm talking about, right? How many of you, Ty, is your least favorite church member? Would you raise your hands? Let's take a vote. His mom just raised her hand. I just, that's terrible. Sue, you should love your son. That's awful. Um, the idea is, if I'm sanctified, God has already set me apart. God's already done that. Now I am setting my life apart for him. So you young people, it's like this. You know, you're around, you're around other kids, and they want you to do something. They want you to look at something you shouldn't look at. They want you to, to drink something or smoke something that, that, that you shouldn't. Right? How many of you, honestly, something like that has happened? Somebody has tried to get you to do something like that. Right? Um, here's why you don't. Because your life is not yours. You've been bought with a price. You're set apart. And that's the same thing for all of you men. When, when that temptation comes, you've got your phone right there, and, and, and I get these emails that, that have the worst, most horrible things, and I tell Laura, stop sending me those. No, I, I, I get these, these e- how many of you know what I'm talking about? You get an email, and in the subject line, it's something that you know that you should not look at, Right? And so I, I do that thing where you swipe it and you, you delete it right away because if you hit it and you open it and it causes all kinds of trouble and all those things. And so we, we all have that. So when I was young, if I wanted to, to look at that kind of thing, I'd have to go into a store, into a place that has that and buy it and go through the humiliation and embarrassment of doing that. Or if I wanted to rent a movie, there was a, there was a room where that stuff is and I would have to go in it. Now, praise God, I didn't do that. God helped me not to do that, but I knew that people did, right? But I might have if it had been easier. How many of you, Aunt men, will you all help me? How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? If it had been easier, I might have. That's where your kids live. They live in a different place than we did. And you men, what you're supposed to do is you are supposed to purge that out of your life. You're supposed to purge it. Temptation is not a sin. Yielding to temptation is a sin. Yielding is a sin. Man, I get tired of my own flesh. I get tired of the temptation. I get tired of it. I get get weary of it. The temptation is not sin. The yielding is the sin. And so, the way that we maintain that purity is by keeping ourselves as the special vessel. 
See, this is the, this is the, it, it's, this is the simple truth. I know that you know that, but that is the text. If a man, verse 21, therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. How do you do that? What, what does that look like? Number one, it's sanctified. Number two, I like this a lot. Meat for the master's use. Meat for the master's use. Sometimes, um, someone will say, and, and I probably have, that word meat, when you see that word meat, meat for the master's use, it's acceptable or fitting for the master's use. But that doesn't really explain what it is. Here's why the word meat is used. It's where my life meets up with God's purpose and it fits. So fitting is right, but you have to add the meeting up component. That's why the Bible uses the word meat. So God has a purpose for my life when I have purged my life of the sin. Now I am sanctified. I'm set apart. I'm set apart for God's purpose. God's purpose is here. And now my life meets up with that purpose. And if all you're doing is walking in and out of the church, God's purpose for you is to serve in the church. So we have a church activity. And you say, eh, that's not for me. That I don't really need that for me. It's not about you. It's about you being there to meet someone else's need. Dave Spicer was giving us his testimony to, to Brother Clayton yesterday while we were at lunch. And he was talking about how he had gotten shot on a, on a training exercise and that Chad Hollinger happened to be doing some training 500 yards or whatever, yeah, a mile from where it was happening. So Chad and his paramedics were able to get there and save Dave's life immediately, really quickly. So Chad had begun coming to the church and some other uh, uh, first responders. So when Dave first came to the church, well, then he had people that he knew that that he could kind of commiserate with, that, that knew their life and, and, and what they're doing. Imagine if Chad had said, yeah, I don't feel like going to church that day. First time Chad came to church, there was a police officer here that he knew. And if that guy had missed church that day, then Chad might not have come back the second day. And Chad came and got saved. Do you see how this works? When you are where you're supposed to be with a, with a heart, not about what's in it for me. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country, right? Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for God in that activity or in that meeting. You're not there for yourself. You're there for someone else. You're meat for the master's use. You're, you're clean. You're sanctified. And you're meat. For the master's service. This is, a, this is what it takes to be a vessel of honor. So a meat life. Your, your life meets with God's purpose. It, it comes together and fits. And then we're still in verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the... I, 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 I'm not going to stop just for time. For the master's use. He's my, he's my savior. He's my master. I'm his servant. And look at what it says. Prepared unto every good work. So it's a sanctified life. It's a meat life. And it's a prepared life. So just as an example, does it appear that I am just winging this sermon or that I spent some time preparing what we're going to do? How many of you, be honest, how many of you expect me to do that? right? That's the job. That's what I'm supposed to do. When you go to the doctor, how many of you want them to know what your problem is? You want them to be prepared. You know, the firefighters come to the fire. They bring the fire truck up and they got the, the lights and they get out and go, I don't know. They're, you expect them to be prepared and they do a lot of training so that they're prepared. 
What about when the person comes to you and they have a problem? They have a need. Are you prepared to give them a biblical answer? Remember, you don't know something until you can tell it to someone else. You don't know something until you can tell it to someone else. That's why the Bible says be instant, in season, out of season. That means you got to be ready. You got to be ready. That's prepared. You don't prepare in the battle. If you start preparing when the battle starts, you are in big trouble. Right? You prepare. You prepare. Um, when when I, I played sports, we would do drills. And the purpose of the drills is so that you don't have to think about that action when, when the game is actually happening. Right? When the dwarfs are coming at you, you, you got to know how to get to their toes or whatever it is that you, that you have to do. You have to know. And you have to know how many lives that dwarf has. you got to be prepared. you got to be ready. You're going to be ashamed. And so, this, it's really important. That might be the favorite thing I've ever, my favorite thing I've ever done in church. Was that, it's so bad. It's terrible. Maureen's loving it. Folks, when somebody asks you, I remember when Nathan Brynick, he was in high school. And he said, Pastor, what's the difference between my church and a Methodist church? Well, you guys need to know that. You don't have to know what a Methodist church is, but you ought to know what your church is. Well, we preach the gospel. The Bible's our authority. People don't get baptized until they're born again. How many of you know those things? Be honest. You know those things? We just have to be able to say them. Then you're prepared for that conversation. Why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe the Bible? Maps, manuscript evidence, archaeological discoveries, prophecies fulfilled. You've heard that a hundred times. You'll say that. You need to know why you believe the Bible. Why is the Bible your authority? You need to be able to answer. What is that? Those don't just come to you by osmosis, right? You can't put your Bible under your pillow and ask God to give it to you overnight. You've got to prepare. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Doesn't the passage just say it? So that, that's a prepared. It's a prepared servant. Now, how else do we prepare? We come to church ready to hear, ready to listen ready to listen. You've got other things going on in your life. Every one of you, if we only were able to know what's going on on the row that you're sitting on, that you don't know about, everybody's got trouble. Our life is full of trouble. Jordan Peter calls it the tragedy of life, right? We, we all have trouble. Church, when you come into this place, remember the Bereans, Acts 17, 11, were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received, in that they received the word with readiness of mind and then searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. See, your job is to come here ready to listen, ready to get something from God that you come on purpose because you know that you need to hear from God even if it's something you've heard before. you If you come to Grace Baptist long enough, I'm going to repeat one. I'm going to repeat a sermon. That, what does that mean? Probably that I didn't have time to study. Or, I think that we need to hear that message again. Could be either one of those. But either way, it's going to be the Bible, and we need to hear it again. We need to receive it. We need to implement it into our lives. Vital that we hear that. It's vital that we do that. You're prepared. Are you prepared to serve God? Are you prepared to serve God? I'm not asking if you're prepared to stand up here and do what I do. It took a long time for me to train to do this. That's not what I'm asking you. I don't expect you to do that. But I do expect you to be ready to give someone the gospel. I expect you to be ready to invite people to church. I expect you to be ready for your for church when you get here. I expect you to be preparing for Sunday on Saturday so that you're able to participate the way that you ought to. Not that you're so tired that you can't even think while this preaching is being done, and then you look, well, I didn't get anything out of that. Well, of course you didn't get anything out of that. Now, let me just step back and say this. Those of you who work all night, you work hard on Saturday or whatever, and you come in on Sunday and you're drowsy and it's tough, thank you. Thank you for being diligent and doing that. How many of you know that's not the, the people that I'm talking to right now? 
You stay up too late watching football. You stay up too late playing a video game. You stay up too night hunting dwarves. Let's go back to the text. So four, four characteristics of a purged life. If a man, therefore, verse 21, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And then look at what it says, flee also youthful lust. So the fourth characteristic of a purged life is a pure life. It's a pure life. So, number one was if a man purged himself. Number two, four characteristics of a purged life. And number three, three vital components to living out a purged life. So, let's look at verses 22 and 23. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. So there are some, the Bible says that there are three vital components to living out a purged life. First thing that we need to notice is that we need to flee some things. We need to flee some things. So again, look at verse 22. It says, flee also also youthful. What's that word right there? So uh, uh, I could hear Chad emphasize that S, lusts. It doesn't say lust. It says lusts. Isn't that interesting? And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an important distinction for us. So we, we know what the most familiar form of lust is. That's sexual lust. We need to flee that. We need to flee that. Listen, God made men to have a desire for women. And all the men said, amen. It, it, it's just the way it is. And then God gave us a proper outlet for that. It's called marriage. And it's wonderful when you have a desire for your wife and your wife has a desire for you. That is biblical. And we're not supposed to defraud the other party. That's the word the Bible uses in that area. Amen? How many of you want me to just camp there for a little while and break that down? And, or would you rather me move on? Let's move on from that. Okay? But there are more types of lust. Lust for power. How many of you know that in this political season, we really start to see the lust for power, right? And young people, here's one that's tough. You young people, look up at me for a second. Lust for autonomy. Don't tell me what to do. My favorite one is the, the, the man, the young man that's tired of being told what to do, so he enters the military. That's my favorite one. But the, the lust for auton- autonomy... How many of you have a boss? How many of you have to do what he or she says? You're not autonomous. There's no, there's no such thing as an autonomous life. That's it. So I want you to notice something. So this is, so, this is cool. Right? You guys ready for this? this? This is really cool. It says flee youthful lusts. Because here's what happens. Especially young men. I can relate more to the young men because I've never been a young girl. Um, so you get to a certain age, right? And you start getting armpit hair. You get to my age and hair grows out of your ears. It's weird. It's like industrial cable. But your age, you know, stuff starts happening. And... God put that in you. You want to be a leader. God put it in you to want to control things. God put it in you to want to not have dominion over you. That's not sin. Because there's two men that will never succeed. Now, you young men really get this. Two men will never succeed. They'll be losers. Number one, the man who can be told nothing. The Bible calls that man a fool. You can't tell him anything. Hey, I need you to pick up your feet when you walk. I need you to pull your pants up. <laughs> you can't be told anything. That's the first guy. The second guy that will never succeed is the man that has to be told everything. 
My dad, do I have to tell you everything? I remember my dad saying that to me. Do I have to tell you everything? How many of you think he was happy at that moment? Why? Because he had raised me well enough to that point where I should have known what I need to do. Right? So that lust for autonomy can be a good thing. The desire to be your own man, the desire to lead, the desire to have your own business, the desire to have your own ministry as a pastor, the desire to have your own family, that's a good thing. Amen? Not yet. You have a head right now. It's your parents. You young ladies, I want to wear what I want to wear. I think this is cute. Well, I think you look like a prostitute. So you're not leaving the house that way. Anytime I see a young girl dressed like a prostitute, here's what I know. Her dad's a wimp. Her dad needs to have his rear end kicked. Not in my house. You're not leaving the house this way. And you know what? It's really bad when mom comes back. I think it's cute. Well, you're an idiot too. But you guys have good parents. You have good moms. When they tell you, no, you're not going to wear that, they're not going to spell out to you why. Here's why. Men are pigs. And you need to not feed that. Why? Because you're sanctified. You're, you're set apart. That's for God, and that's for your husband. And, and you're waiting. You're set apart. See, it says flee youthful lusts. Youthful lusts. That lust for power, that lust for autonomy. We, we men, there, 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 there's more. There, there's, there's the lust for money, or there might be the lust for drugs or something that you're not supposed to have. Flee it. Flee it. And notice flee it. It's not... Avoid it. There's some things that we're going to avoid. This is run from it. And you all know, what's the perfect illustration? Joseph with Potiphar's wife. When she she grabbed him to cause him to sin, and he ran so fast she kept his coat in her hands. That's how that's what you're supposed to do with this. That that lust for autonomy, that lust for your own stuff. Run away from that until it's in God's proper order. All right, let's keep going. So notice it says lusts and not just lust, but they are youthful lusts. These are lusts that begin to tempt us when we are young. Listen to this. Lusts that we should mature from, but don't. You know, there are men, I'm 60 years old, that have never gotten control of their lust. Started when they were young. They never got in control of it. You might be a person who you've known the Lord. You got saved a long time ago. You've gotten right with God. You need to begin fleeing that lust right now. Right? Flee the youthful lust. So these are lusts that begin to tempt us when we are young. Lusts that we should mature from, but we don't. And then I want you guys to think about something. We don't time out of lusts. I've mentioned to you before that I asked an old preacher one time. We were on the Baptist history tour, and this old preacher, Noah Broughton, this girl walked by us. She wasn't dressed appropriately. And so we're, we're both, you know, not looking intentionally. And so I asked Brother Broughton a little while later. I said, Brother Broughton, does it ever get easier? And he said, this is 15 years ago probably. He just, here was his answer. Old mountain preacher. Nope. So, yeah, it, it starts young, but it never goes away. What does that mean? Guys, you've still got to protect yourself. You've not outgrown your lust. Y'all hear what I'm saying right here? Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you watch. Be careful who you're alone with. Be careful. Flee it. Flee it. Flee it. Make no provision for the flesh. If a man, if a man, these are the men that we are to follow 2 Timothy 2, 2, 4. All right, what then? So what do we do then? Well, we need to follow some things. So look at what it says. Verse 21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow. So we're supposed to flee some things, and we're supposed to follow some things. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. All right? So now, 
There, there are some, we're supposed to, there are four distinct characteristics that we are to follow. We're supposed to follow righteousness. Following righteousness is much easier after you've purged the unrighteousness. Right? A new desire. I want to, I want to strive after righteousness. All right? Obviously, we know what righteousness is. We could flesh that out. But also follow faith. I'm supposed to follow faith. See, some of this, you giving up that lust, you giving up that thing that you've become addicted to in your life, pornography or whatever, it's going to take the faith that you have in the Holy Spirit to help you overcome that. And I promise you this, you need a brother in Christ to help you. And if a brother in Christ comes to you and expresses his problem with that, do not brush it off. Amen? Well, we all have that problem. Never make an excuse for sin, and we better not all have that problem. If there's pornography in this church, shame on you. That is absolute abject wickedness. Follow righteousness, follow faith, and then follow charity. What is following charity? Remember, charity is love that, it's love that gives. Because I love the Lord, because I love God's people, I am investing, and it's not my money, it's me. I'm investing myself. Remember the caterpillars that crawl in and out? They're, they're too busy getting stuff. They're not, they don't have time to invest in God's people. They don't have time for that. They don't have time for that. They don't have time to be discipled, and they certainly don't have time to disciple somebody else and then follow peace. Notice the, the order, righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. There's only peace in a church when the majority of the men are vessels of honor. If your wife starts doing this about another lady, you shut it down. You shut it down. If you're a godly lady and another lady starts doing this, you shut it down. Gossip will destroy a church, and it's not peace. It's not peace. If you're loving and investing, that brings peace. But then... Let's finish it with this. This is wild. This is amazing. So look what it says in verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. Look what it says. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. A pure heart is a purged heart. A pure heart is a purged heart. So what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to hang out at church with the honorable vessels not the dishonorable ones. The, the, the people that you choose to be close to at church need to be the people that are serving God at the church. People that are investing in the Lord's work. Listen, people that are investing in you. And then you are to begin investing in them. And if you've got a critic, somebody, all they've got is complaints. I mean, there's lots of other churches. Go find one where you're happy or get on board with what you're doing, or just don't talk. And that's what you need to say to the people that are if you are a vessel of honor. And you know what that makes you? A man. Now, you men, you men have heard me do this. You'll say, so-and-so said something. Fill in the blank. What do I always say? What would you say to them? They were supposed to do so-and-so. They didn't. Well, did you tell them they were supposed to do this? Well, in that moment, you're not a vessel of honor. Because what have you done? You've shirked your responsibility to speak the truth in love. That Read Ephesians 4 again. You are a mature believer. You're perfect when you are able to speak the truth in love. When you're until you're able to speak the truth in love, you're just you're not a man yet. You're not a man. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about right here? And I want to ask you, how many of you men have heard me say that to you? What did you say to them? How did you say it? What are you doing? Have you talked to them about it? Why are you telling me? Talk to them about it. Amen. I love that. Just right there in the verse with. Them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, that purged heart. And then, there are some things that we are to avoid. Look at what it says in verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions, avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Now, there are just foolish questions. There are just foolish questions. We don't even have to, why, why, why do they tell us we have to do this? Why do they tell us we have to do that? 
Just foolish. Remember that, that man, you can't tell anything? That's, that's a fool. That's a foolish question. But then there are the unlearned questions. There are unlearned questions. Um, it's so funny. I'll get somebody that will attack me on something, on, on a Bible issue. I'll be preaching the text. As if I've not studied it. As if it's not a learned position. Y'all wouldn't let me be the pastor if I wasn't apt to teach, if I hadn't done the work it took to become a pastor. Amen? The unlearned questions. Avoid those. Now, let me step back. I love questions. You question and answer every Wednesday night, every Sunday school hour. I love answering questions. And the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about that undermining Philetus, Hymenaeus, that undermining, who does he think he is? He's talking about Bible translations. He doesn't know anything. What's he talking about? I had uh, someone told Brandon Blackford, Brandon told me this, not to listen to me on church history because I don't know anything about it. Now, you can say I don't agree with what he says on church history, and that's fair. You don't have to agree with me. But to say I don't know anything about it, that's just, that's insane. It's dumb. So that's the kind of stuff that, do you see how that's a foolish, unlearned position? Guys, Here's the best way not to ask foolish questions. Ready? Be able to listen to instructions, and then you won't ask foolish questions. Here's the best way not to ask a learn unlearned question. Learn some stuff. Amen? And then who are you? You're a vessel. Me. For the master's use. If a man. Be honest, men. How many of you in this message are seeing some things that are keeping you from being a vessel of honor? Would you raise your hand? You've noticed some things in your own. Me too. Me too. This is who we are to be. And ladies, this is what you need your husband to be. Parents, this is what you need these boys to be. This is who they are to be. If they're going to be a vessel of honor. Folks, we need church people. We need church people that are vessels of honor. Now listen, you're a senior citizen. You, you've, you've spent your life serving God. You're helping God in other ways. I'm not asking you to, you know, fill up a car at Trunk or Treat or whatever. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about in this situation? This is what I mean. We need servants of God and I'm just telling you, the best days of Grace Baptist Church are in front of us. And we always need more workers. And what, that's what the Bible says. Pray that the Lord will send, send laborers into his harvest. But who do we need? We need good soldiers. We need rule-keeping athletes. And we need farmers that are willing to eat their own stuff. That's who we're supposed to be. Amen? Let's all stand together. I mentioned a minute ago an hour ago, that um, there are two kinds of people that come into a church service. People that are born again and people that are not. If you're not born again, today's the day of salvation. You need to get saved today. Ask Jesus Christ to save you. If you're not sure how to do that, how many of you know how to tell someone how to be saved? Would you raise your hands? Go talk to one of these people. We'll show you. Or you just come forward while we sing, and I'll assign somebody to you to show you how you can know Christ as your Savior. If you've not, your first step in becoming an honorable vessel, sign up for discipleship. Get discipled. Learn how to communicate God's Word. Let's sing this together.